it's just lovely to be here and there's a real family accepting thing and uh, I, I just feel there's some, some stuff God, God loves your heart for the, for the lost I think that's something about you that's just quite real and, uh, and God loves that and uh, is Alex here? yeah Alex I, just, I love you Alex you're a real truth teller I love the way you say it as it is and it's clear and there's no messing around and what you get is what you see and I think God, God's heart delights at the way you are I just felt that um, when you were up there sharing. I saw that, you know when uh, Jesus said of Nathaniel, there's a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. I feel that God's saying that to you. Um, the thing that makes me laugh about that scripture is God says, I'm going to wipe out the memory of Am- uh, Amalek, but he's put it in the Bible. So, but, so because it's in there, everybody remembers it, which is really strange. Anyway, I'm not up here to talk about that. Um, yes, I've brought uh, with me my family, uh, Ruth, uh, my lovely wife, and Joseph, my oldest son, is there. He's 11. And we've also brought with us a lovely friend, Rose. Um, we just love having her around because she's great. Um, so, yeah, uh, what I thought I'd love to share on today is a little bit about our identity. And there are a couple of areas of identity that I think often come on, uh, under challenge for us as Christians. And, uh, and one of them is the identity of who God is and our knowing of who God is. And uh, as far back as the Garden of Eden... Um, the temptation that Satan brought to Eve was, did God really say that? And when she sort of then tries to explain that he did sort of, and she gets it a little bit wrong, um, he then says, well, he's only saying that because he doesn't want you to be as good as he is, as clever as he is. So, so one, one area that we're, we're challenged as Christians is to, is to know God's identity. And we were talking about it earlier. God is good all the time in every situation and every circumstance. And it's very easy, particularly if you're going through hard stuff or you know, if you've suffered something quite extreme in some cases or over, over a period of years, you can actually begin to question, Lord, why did you let that happen? Why? So that's one area. The other area, which is the main one I want to talk about, is the identity that we've been given in Christ uh, and who we are. Um, if you look at Jesus at his baptism, um, uh, the Father spoke out and said, this is my beloved Son, um, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And uh, as soon as he went out into the wilderness, fasted, the first temptation that Satan brought was, well, if you're God's son, then do this. It's a questioning of your identity. Um, and Satan did that twice in two of the temptations that listed. And for us, there's a battle, and it, when it says fight the good fight of the faith, I think it's, um, this is one of the areas. There's a battle for us to know who we are, because it's by knowing your identity that, you've, that I believe your behavior is formed out of that. Um, because a lot of Christianity, it can be very easy to think, well, my behavior forms my identity. But in fact, in the Christian world, I believe our identity will result in our behaviors. And I'll get onto that. So in my family, I've got three wonderful sons. And they're my sons, uh, whether they like it or not. And whatever they do... Um, Joseph, as I said, is nearly 12. Simeon's 10. He's out in the group. And Nathaniel's uh, five yesterday. Um, and they're f- wonderful sons. I'm really proud of them. And, um, uh, and they're challenging. That, you know, they've got a lot more energy than I have. And um, can I just move that? And, uh, and there are times, you know, that like with any, any family, uh, we, you know, there are boundaries and we have to discuss boundaries, but they know, and they've known, and, and uh, Joseph knows from the year dot, we've said, even if you're naughty, whatever you do, we love you just the same. 
I love you whether you're good. I love you whether you're naughty. I love you when you do, you know, whatever you do, your identity in this family will not change. I love you whatever and whatever you do in your life. And, and from the youngest age, we've, we've built that into them, um, I hope. Are you, are you clear on that, Joseph? <laughs> That's quite hard to do that in the middle of uh, preaching. Um, so, um, so it's about his identity and their identity is not based on their performance, on their behaviour, on what they do. Their identity is based on the fact they were born into our family. And your identity as a Christian is because you were born into Jesus, into, into, into the family um, of God. You are, uh, it says in Hebrews actually, it says, uh, the one who makes men holy and the ones who are made holy are of the same family. Um, and therefore Jesus is not ashamed to call you brothers. You have the same spiritual DNA uh, as Jesus. And uh, the Bible talks a lot about our unity with God. So if you read like in Romans 6, it says you died. When Christ died, when, sorry, when you, when you became a Christian, you died. Something of you died with Christ. And something of you was raised again. Okay, so at that point, the first moment you believed, you were brought into union with Jesus in an instantaneous, effortless, and completed way. Your union with Jesus is as great as it will ever be. You don't have to do anything because at the moment you were born again, it was accomplished for you by the cross because it's by grace you've been saved through faith and it's not by any works. It's not by anything we can do. And on the first day you believed, you were made instantly holy by the work of Jesus on the cross and by just trusting in that, that is where your identity is. Your identity is in him. So the Bible talks a lot about what well, you know. In, um, I think it's about around John 17. Jesus talks about uh, he's praying to the Father, and he says, "Father, you know, I'm in you. You're in me. Uh, may they be in me as you are." And there's a lot of being in one another, and that union is the Holy Spirit has come, and He has become one with you. You are one with the Spirit, one in the Spirit. Um, in uh, in one Corinthians six. Paul's actually talking about, he says, a man who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in her body. But he who is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So in spirit, you are already intermeshed with the, with the Holy Spirit. You're one. You are, a unity is when you bring two things and you make them into one. And you have a unity which declares your identity. You are of God. You are a son or a daughter. You didn't receive a spirit that makes you a, uh, a slave to fear, but a, a spirit of sonship or a spirit of adoption. And you have been adopted into that family. And adoption is, is a bang, you're in, and you've been sealed, and you've been signed. And, you, and God, I believe, really wants us to be secure and sure about that. And it's not dependent on your behavior, either before that or after that. It is entirely, it has been achieved on the cross. You have no work to do. There's nothing you need to do in order to make yourself more holy. In fact, you can't. In fact, our efforts to make ourselves more holy are very often the, the thing that will bring us um, into like a striving and a legalism, which then brings the opposite result. Um, and I'll talk a bit more about that in a few minutes. Um, so, the prodigal son. Let me just chat about him for a bit. It's Luke 15, but I'm not going to turn there. 
Um, you probably know the story. It's quite a famous one. If not, I'll just uh, um, reel it off uh, very briefly. So uh, the, prodigal, the prodigal son, he goes to his father and he says, I'd like my share of the inheritance now, um, which is obviously what's quite offensive because it, it's something that he would normally receive after his father's death. But, so his father gives him the inheritance. He goes away to a foreign land and he squanders it in wild living and uh, generally, well, sinful behavior, you could say. And, um, and it says when, when he does finally come to his senses and he decides to come back, um, it says the father saw him when he was still a long way off. And I, I, I can't say for sure, but I have a feeling that the, father, the reason the father saw him from a long way off, I mean, it's not a true story, it's a parable, but I, I think, I, I reckon the father was looking out for him. And each day he'd just look out and wonder if he's coming home today. I wonder if it'll be today. I wonder if today will be the day. And then the day came, and, um, and the father looked out, and he could see the dust rising from in the distance, and he just knew it was his son because of that. He just remembered in his mind what his son was like and how precious he was to him and how he longed more than anything else. Oh, he'd have given up the other half of the inheritance if, if he could to get his son back. He was just so desperate to see him again. And he, he could tell by the way this person walked. He knew everything about him. He'd looked at him from the time he was a boy. And his love for him was totally overwhelming. And, uh, and when the son came back, there wasn't any mention of, well, we'll need to have a little chat later about the way you behaved. Um, the story is that he ran, which is in, in that the society of the day would have been completely inappropriate and not, not really done, but he ran, he put the robe around him, he put a ring on his finger, they celebrated, and in some ways, it's almost as if when the son came back, that the father was even more delighted than before. And as I said, it was all about his identity. He was a son. And even though he'd done some pretty despicable things, um, the father just wanted his son and loved his son with the most incredible passion. And that's how it is with you. God loves you with a love that is greater than I could possibly ever put into words. And it's not a kind of a cold and distant love. It's a real, up-close and personal uh, love. You know, it says um, in, in the same passage about we've not received the spirit that makes us a slave against fear. Um, it says, uh, just after that bit, it says, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is, is a Hebrew word meaning, well, so I think it might be Aramaic actually. It means sort of daddy. And, and that I think children in, in Israel, I think it's a friend of mine went there and said, the little children run around their dads shouting, Abba, Abba. Abba. And it's, it's like daddy, dad. And, uh, and that's who you are to God. You are in his family. And even if you feel you've gone and done some despicable things, um, you're still a beloved son or daughter. You're not excluded on that basis um, because it's about your identity. And your identity is you've been adopted, you've been brought into the family, and you're one with him. And when God looks at you, what he sees is the perfection of Jesus. And because you're one with Jesus. And uh, can we just turn to, I will get some scripture in here. Let's have a look at uh, Colossians 2, please. Colossians chapter 2, please. 
So going, just briefly going back to the, um, the identity, bringing about behaviour rather than behaviour identity thing, I think I just want to say a little bit more about that. So, um, again, in my family, um, m- what my children do doesn't earn their identity in the family. And if somebody came into our family and started behaving like my children, that wouldn't make them part of the family in that sense, would it? I mean, obviously, we've got lots of close friends and people we bring into our family and make them like family. But what I mean is, um, it's not the behaviour that brings about that identity. But when we're part of a family, and, um, and the father sits down and says, you know, in, in our family, well, whatever happens, you're still your son, but whatever happens, in our family, we love one another like this. And this is, this is, how, we, this is how we are. And it's that knowledge and security of our identity, which I believe brings us to, if you like, godly behaviour, the stuff that walking by the Spirit brings. Um, So in verse 9 of Colossians 2, um, it says, For in Christ, the fullness of the deity, or the Godhead in some versions, lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who's the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Um, I'll stop there. So it talks here about the circumcision of the sinful nature. Um, now, I, 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 I want to address this in a way that isn't gross or coarse, but circumcision is something which we don't often talk about publicly. But in circumcision, something is cut off, okay, and it's thrown away, and it doesn't come back. Okay, um, I'm trying to be as polite as possible here. Okay, and so when it says about your um, the putting off of the sinful nature by a circumcision done by the Spirit. That means your sinful nature was cut off and thrown away and it doesn't grow back and it's not a part of you anymore and you can't fit it back on. Okay, your sinful nature. I know I, recently at our church um, I did, um, did an evening with our wider leaders group on the fact that I believe it's very clear in scripture that we don't have a sinful nature. But there's a lot of theology out there that, and, and whole ministry is built on the fact that how we deal with our sinful nature. But um, as I said this evening, it was two hours of looking through, you know, verse by verse, Romans 7, a bit of Romans 6, Romans 8, Galatians 2, 4, 5, 6, and Colossians 2 and 3. The group were absolutely exhausted by the end of it. <laughs> um, Rose is laughing, she was there. Um, so, um, so, the, the, so this idea... That a lot of Christians carry this idea that inside there's this war going on and there's my sinful nature and there's my and the spirit and, uh, and it causes this thing of, you know, my whole it's, it, it sort of produces an expectation that my whole Christian life is going to be some war against all my sinful stuff uh, and that sometimes the, the Holy Spirit wins and sometimes the sinful nature wins. Well you don't have a sinful nature I would like to say, um Tim and the other elders can sort that one out next week. <laughs> um, it, I mean, this is one verse, but, but as I said, I, I could, I'd love to give you the full two hours, but um, 
I only have 10 minutes left. <laughs> um, so, so in you, there, I mean, of course, temptation comes from outside. There's no doubt about that. And of course, I can still make stupid decisions and, and uh, I can still sin. I'm very capable of that. But it's not because in me there's, there's all sorts of, there's an evil nature and a good nature. You have been made entirely new. Um, it's not wrong. You know it's not sin to be tempted, don't you? Sin and temptation are different things. So um, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted uh, in every way as we were, but was without sin. So you can be tempted um, without sinning. It's not, those two aren't necessarily compatible. And so temptation can come on very strongly, but it's not because in you, I believe, uh, there is a warring good part and a warring bad part. Um, you have been made new. The sinful nature has been cut off. It's gone. And you have been made completely new in Christ. And you're holy. Now let's have a look at Colossians, um, no, sorry, Hebrews 10, please. Hebrews 10. This used to be, and probably still is, one of my favourite couple of verses. Hebrews 10, verse 10, to start with. Okay, Hebrews 10, verse 10. Um, Okay, it's talking about God's will. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all. Just drop down to verse 14. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now you might say, well, doesn't that say that we're being made holy? And therefore, actually, doesn't that mean I'm not totally holy? Um, I'll thank you, you are unreverbing me, or whatever. Thank you. Um, So the fact that it says being made holy, now in the Greek, the the, the New Testament was written, uh, or the the manuscripts that we have were written in Greek. um, And uh, the word underlying that, which is hagazio, means... Um, literally means to be set apart and it normally means to be set apart for holy use and when it says um, he's made perfect forever those who are being set apart it's not talking about you getting more and more holy because otherwise it doesn't make sense that he would say you've already been made completely perfect Um, and in the previous verse where it says you have been made holy which is past tense through the sacrifice Um, what it's talking about is when it says those who are being made holy it means those people who are being born again and brought into uh, that sacrifice and, and set into salvation. Does that make sense? So when it says, you, um, by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being brought into the kingdom, those who are being born again. He's made every one of us perfect by the one sacrifice. Um, and it makes sense to me, anyway, because if you had two people who, who were not born again and, and then they both got born again at the same time, one died instantly and one lived for 60 years and then died, they're both just as holy, aren't they? The, the, the one that had 60 years to do good stuff and bad stuff, they're just as holy when they die because there can't be any sin in us when, when we meet God. So, so you've been made perfect. By one sacrifice, you've been made perfect. That's your identity. And, and I believe that God really wants us to know this and to be totally secure in it. Because when I, if I feel there's a part of me that's actually evil and rural, um, then I end up, when I'm, I want, when I'm just wanting to enjoy some time, in God's presence, just thinking, oh, 
oh, is, there, is there a bit of me that God sort of recoils from, the sort of the sinful nature? Well, no, the sinful nature has been cut off and it's gone. And you have been made entirely holy. And so God delights to be, to, for you to be in his presence. Now, of course, you're in his presence all the time. But when I, when I say in his presence, I mean in his, you know, sometimes there's a sense and a manifestation of God's presence. Jesus said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. There's no doubt about that. But there are times when, when I can just take a second, even like now, and just feel the pleasure of God on me. And you can too, because there isn't a recoiling of the Holy Spirit away from you because of a sinful nature, because that's been done away with. You've been made holy, and God delights in you. In Song of Solomon, it says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. And God's desire is for you. And he wants you to be totally um, secure in that. Um, and I'm just going to finish because I've got a few minutes left. Um, and, uh, and the reason I've said, of course I'm not saying sin, sinning's all right and it doesn't matter, That's, you know, it's important, but it, it's just getting the balance between, you know, um, I used to go down the gym sort of four or five lunch times a week when I was, uh, some time ago, um, and uh, these days I, I play badminton instead. Gym, I find gym quite boring. Anyway, down at the gym that I, I go to, um, they, they have massive screens like most gyms do, and it, they put on MTV and stuff. And as you probably know, a lot of the stuff on there is just not that helpful. A lot of it's kind of, you know, um, men and women sort of dancing in sexually provocative ways, women with extremely tight bikinis, sort of dancing with very close-up camera shots on on body parts that, it, that, you know, sometimes it's just not that helpful. And um, so, um, so I, down the gym, what I would tend to do, because, you know, literally, it's like 25, 30 foot across this screen. You can't really avoid it. So, so sometimes I'd kind of, I'd, I'd ha- be having a good day, and I'd, I'd sort of be, I'd try and look over in the corner, or I'd look at my Speedo, or whatever it was down here, um, and I'd avoid looking at the more dodgy. Other days, I wouldn't have such a good day, and I'd, tend to, I'd look and then feel bad afterwards. And, uh, and the more I thought, no, I mustn't do it, I mustn't look, I mustn't, I, I, oh, and, and feeling frustrated with myself, and then afterwards, oh, God, oh, it's all right. And as soon as I start feeling like that, and, and feeling this, oh, I've, I've let God down, and I'm, oh, this is rubbish, and, and, oh, and, and sort of starting to self-rejection, stuff like that. As soon as I do that, and right, I must, I've got to pray harder about this, and I mustn't do that, and next time I'll, I'll, I'll bite one of my fingers off. If I do that, if I, if I look, right, that'll, that'll help me. Or, or you know, that, it, it becomes a real striving thing. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't war against uh, sin, but, but when I do it like that, it becomes very much a self-effort thing. And what I've discovered is that as I've discovered more and understood and grasped more how much I'm already perfect in God's sight because it says he's made me perfect by one sacrifice and I know I'm totally loved and accepted, Recently, I, there was, I was in the gym and there was a Christina Aguilera video on, which is probably, it was probably one of the most outrageous ones there. And I remember looking at it and, and as it came on and just thinking, I just don't want to look at that. And there was something in me I felt had changed. It wasn't the, I must not look at that because it's wrong, even though you know, I, I'd been through that because that didn't seem to produce the ability to stop for me. But what did was just knowing the love, the grace, and the fullness of God. And then as, you, as your, your confidence in that grows, 
and you, you, just, you, you know that there's, the Holy Spirit is loving you, leading you, guiding you, then it says in Philippians that it's God who works in you, um, um, causing you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. To will, meaning to want to, to have the desire. So the Holy Spirit creates in you those desires. Now, I'm not saying, and I've never had another issue since. I've never been tempted in that way since. Of course, I have. But I, it's just something I've found is that God wants us in our, wants it to change in our hearts, doesn't he? And I think the revelation of his amazing love for you and his amazing acceptance of you, even if you mess up, is, is the basis of it all for me. Because it's not, I'm not saying that, that it's, sin's okay. Um, but what I'm saying is, if you, when you first start to drive, okay, you drive along the road, and you're looking at the curb and, the, and, the, and the, the white line, and you don't want to go over the white line, and you have to keep a close eye on all the speed limits and, and everything like that, you're really, really aware of all of that. Well, as you get better at driving, or if you're a, if you're a police class one driver, um, they don't spend their time looking at where the white line is. And they don't spend their time looking at, uh, intently at all the speed limits. But you'll find that as they drive, they keep within the law. Well, apart from those that are found driving 140 miles an hour around the, uh, down the M4 or whatever that, that one guy was. But, um, but, but these police drivers, they, they, it's like... I'm, tr- I'm trying to draw an analogy. I hope I'm making some sense. Um, it's, it's like that in their driving, they have the skill. They've got like the spirit, if you like, in the analogy. And, and of course, they don't drift over the white line and back. But it's not, that isn't the focus. And it's like that with, with sin. If it, when it's the focus, if it becomes the focus for me, and I mustn't cross that line, I mustn't cross it, then, as it says in Romans 7, as soon as the law comes, do not covet, then sin comes to life in me. And in fact, back in that verse in Colossians 3, don't worry about turning to it, um, although you might get there before I am, the way I'm doing here. Uh, it was Colossians 2, I mean, sorry. Um, at the end of Colossians 2, it actually says, since you died with Christ, why do you submit to the basic principles of the world as if you belong to it? Don't handle, don't touch. These are all destined to perish because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And my experience would be that it's actually knowing the freedom that you are totally loved, you are totally accepted. God cannot love you any more than he does now. He cannot accept you any more than he does now. He loves you totally, and it's regardless of your behavior because it's all about your identity. You are in Christ. You have been made perfect, and when he looks at you, he sees the likeness and he sees the oneness with Jesus, and he loves it. He loves you with an everlasting love. Nothing can separate you from his love. There's nothing you can do that can separate you from it. He loves you. You're perfect in his sight already. You don't have to work for it. And as you grow, and as we grow, and as I grow in, that, in, the, in the revelation of that, and just understanding, wow, I've got a God who just loves me, and he's loved me from day one, and he's loved me every day, 100%. Like I say to my boys, I love you whether you're good, I love you with the naughty. Whatever you do, you will always be my son. And like the prodigal father, you are always his sons and daughters, and he always loves you. And just grasping hold of that is, um, is such a powerful thing. Um, do you guys have anything?
Yeah, I, I, I hope this is okay. I, I asked Ruth and Rose just to, if they had anything on their hearts, just to come up and share anything they were feeling prophetically. Is that okay? Is that, is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Um, Would you like the big mic? Um, I don't mind. Hello. Um, <laughs> yeah, Adrian's basically just asked us to come and just share um, some, some bits and bobs. Um, I just felt yesterday I was, I was kind of asking God what he wanted to give me to encourage you guys. Um, and I just felt him sort of give me an analogy. I just want to share it with you if that's okay. Um, I am very lucky to have um, a very lovely um, earthly daddy. Um, and my daddy really loves me, <laughs> and my daddy um, is very proud of me, which is, um, can be a little bit embarrassing sometimes. Um, so this week, we've actually had some, some long-lost relatives from Australia come and visit. We haven't seen them in about seven years, I think. Um, and my dad had spent some time with them, and then I got there. Um, and I got in and I sat down with them, and they started saying, Oh, Rose, your dad's told us all about all the wonderful things you've done, um, in an Australian accent, of course, which I won't try. Um, and we've here, you've done this, and you've been here. And my first reaction was to panic a little bit. So I thought, oh, what's he said? What, what has, what's he said? He's, what's he built me up to be? What's he, what's he said that I've, you know, what's, what's he told them? Um, and I kind of panicked. Thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to do some damage limitation here because, you know, he's obviously gone in and, and said all these wonderful things, and I'm really not that good. You know, I'm really not that, that great. Um, and as I was talking to them, actually, I realized that everything that my dad had sort of boasted about about me, everything he'd said about me to them in the, you know, the 10 minutes that I hadn't been there, um, was actually true. Um, but I found it very difficult to accept that. And I, and I kind of thought, actually, I have to accept that. Actually, my dad is very proud of me, but it's, it's, not, it's not lies. He's not lied about me. Um, he's actually true. And I just felt that God wants to say that um, to us. And, and to you guys today, I feel like God wants to say he, he wants to boast about you. Um, each one of you individually and together as, as a church, actually, I feel that this is. He wants to boast about you because he's, he's really delighted in you. Um, he's very, very proud of you and he just absolutely adores you. Um, and I think maybe sometimes you sort of maybe maybe when you hear that or maybe when he says you're fantastic at this you know you've done this I've called you to do this and I've given you this gift and this gift and you're like no no God oh no don't say that because people will expect so much from us and oh no people will um people will think you know what how do we how do we explain you know we're just we're just people but actually everything that God says about you every everything that he boasts about you every boast he has about you is true because God doesn't lie Okay, and yes, he's saying some outrageously incredible things about you, but they're not lies. Okay, they're truth. Um, and I just feel like it's really, it's really key actually in, in just finding a little bit more freedom today, just to accept that, um, just to say, okay, God, yes, yes, you're boasting in me. It says in the end of Zephaniah, it says Zephaniah three, the Lord delights over you with singing. And I just feel like he wants to tell you that right now. He just absolutely delights in you. You know, he knows and he knows you as well. So the things that my dad was saying were true um, because he knows me and he knows what I've done and he knows kind of my giftings as well a little bit. God knows what he's putting you to do and he will call that out of you. He will. He's faithful. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to prove to the world, oh, okay, God, God said this, so we've got to do this. God's going to just do that. Um, and he just wants to tell you it because he loves you very much.
So, yeah. Um, I, I, last night I felt God uh, talk to me about the word agreement, and I feel it's to do with the stuff that Adrian's been talking about, and um, about the power in it, choosing to agree with things. And I, I did feel actually, as he was talking, that um, there are probably one or two people here where, as he was talking, you might have had something a bit weird going on, like, um, like a very powerful thing going, no, I don't agree. And um, if that was you, um, you might think that was coming from you, but it wasn't. And we can pray with you about that because the enemy wants to rob that from us knowing who we are in God. It's such a powerful thing because when you grasp it, you're so free. Um, he doesn't want us to be free. So if that's you, then we can pray with you in a moment. Um, I also had, it's really funny, I had something for Simon and for Sue and they're both out. So um, when they come back in, I can chat with them. Um, but yeah. Um, what I'd like to do um, is just have an opportunity for um, really for us to, to just agree um, with God um, which is always a good thing to do um, and as Rose said um, he loves you um, with an astounding love and, um, and when I was speaking earlier or um, in what the, the girls were just saying um, particularly if you're uh, the person that Ruth was referring to who had quite a strong reaction or maybe you had some small reactions just oh yeah but you don't know about this or you don't I've struggled with this for years and you don't know about that well no I don't um, and I don't have to and God doesn't want me to um, but you are still made holy by the one sacrifice um, even when you do stupid stuff um, and if you are well obviously cut it out um, if you can, um, and if not, seek help, and uh, because God still loves you in that place. And so, what I'd like us to do is to just sing, um, or just to worship God. And while we are, um, I'd love for us to just to come into agreement with God. Lord, you have made me holy. And Jesus went through an incredibly awful experience of physical mutilation and even rejection from the Father, so that you don't have to experience that. He purchased it for you so that you, you can enjoy it. And, uh, and therefore, I'd like to encourage you to stand as we worship. And, um, or, or you don't have to, obviously, you can stay sitting or lying or whatever you want to do. But I'd love to encourage you to just engage with the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to agree. You've adopted me. You love me. I'm yours. And uh, I'm perfect in your sight. Okay. Go for Ange. Thanks. I encourage you to stand if you feel like it.
your throne I have found where I to your throne I found where I belong that's our identity that's who we are the people in the courts of the Lord Colossians 3 says since then you have been raised with Christ set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things above not on earthly things for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will, 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 will appear with him in glory. There's a few people who hesitated on the will there, wasn't there? I just felt it in my spirit. There were a few people who were saying, I don't know, that's true for me. But Lord, I pray right now that there would be a true acceptance of that word. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One of the most wonderful, wonderful moments in my life, I was walking down a road somewhere and God said to me, it's about, I've heard God almost... I, I can only say what I know. Um, it, it felt audible. And it's one of the two. I've told you this before, many of you. I don't care, I'm saying it again. He told me, he said to me, you are a good man. Now, I want to just say that I can reduce my faith right down, right down to those few words. If you think theologically about that, you can take it right down every time. Just to those few words. You are a good man. It identifies me. I don't have that in my own strength. But that's what God's saying to you. You're a good man. Yeah. You're a good man. You're a good woman, Ange. You're a good woman. Yeah. Yeah. Jean, you're a good woman. 
That's what God says about you, isn't it? He says it about each one of us. Father. We really, I feel God's word is to encourage us to affirm the truth of who we are. Let's, uh, I, I mean, sometimes music helps, sometimes it doesn't, but let's just to sing that, um, the chorusy bit of that again, the chorus of that again. Uh, yes, I'll sing your praises. I'll sing your praises forever Deeper in love with you Here in your courts Where I'm close to your throne I found where I belong spirit oh thank you that we can't grasp this by our intellect um, in fact intellects normally get in the way Lord um, it's by revelation by your spirit and I ask for each person here right now Holy Spirit that you'd rest upon us and bring us that revelation again that we've received a spirit of sonship by whom we say Abba Daddy, Abba, I'm in your family. I sit around your table and I belong there. I'm not there as an outsider. I'm not there as an also-ran. I'm not there by any good or bad thing that I've done. But I'm your child and I belong here. And at the wedding banquet, there is a card there already with my name on it. And I'm invited and I'm on the top table thank you Lord thank you Father that you love us so much and uh, Lord would you help us to see one another and ourselves in the way that you see us um, just so with that love and acceptance um, that you have for us thank you Lord um, I'd just like to say if any, if any of you felt what uh, what Ruth was saying earlier applied to you or if there's anything that you want to talk through or if you'd, um, you'd like us to pray for you afterwards I, I'm really, I'd, I'd be delighted to I'll be around, um, I'd love to pray for you um, but I'm, I'm done but over to Tim Yes absolutely, let's uh, take the opportunity if God's speaking to uh, let's follow through uh, this morning and and through the week too, uh, let the let the word take its course. Go back to it Go in the word this week. Allow that to really speak into us and change us. Uh, don't let it go. Don't let it go. Identity, who you are. That's good. Excellent. Yep. Add a little bit to that before we met earlier this morning we, we met for prayer and the word I felt God gave me was this is the time for reconciliation and I think Tim said don't let things go this is the time 
Excellent. Thank you.